Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 297th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that will absolutely marry for vampire money if it means we get to keep sucking the blood out of the community. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chokat, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Baron Travis Allen at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. I'm not Baron, I have a child. That's that's true. <laughs> uh, hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is on the agenda this week? Oh, this week we will start off with segment one, our MTGO Metagame Week interview. We've got two modern challenges and... One of them is uh, quite a a list there. Segment two, our top paper movers will run through some cards that have moved in price this week, along with the top MTGO movers. Segment three, uh, our card swatch, James and I will run through some cards that we think look pretty tasty here on the horizon. And segment four, we will uh, take a brief dip into the super secret layer that was just randomly spoiled as some sort of secret layer collab. And we'll also check out the remaining uh, Crimson Vow spoilers. I'm uh, excited to talk about Mind Goblin down there. Well, let's, let's jump in here at the top. Uh, I mean, we have this modern challenge from November 6th. Uh, but I feel like I have, to, I, have to, I have to do these both in... in you know, at the top, we have a, a good mix here on the one modern challenge, but the modern challenge from November 7th has uh, appears five four color Omnath lists. Yeah. All running Kahira or four Kahiras in a Yorion. Yeah. So I posted in the Discord today, I said, like, do you want to put odds on whether these $30 foil showcase Omnaths that are lying around are going to be 50 to 60 in six months? Wait, 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 wait. Say that again. Four-color Omnath, Locus of Creation, which is a four of in all of those decks. And there's at least three different uh, iterations of Omnath or and or Yorion being recombinated into various lists. Um, ones that are more control-focused, ones that are ephemerate-focused, ones that are all elementals, <clears throat> mixtures of some of all of the above. And we're down to 38 listings for the showcase foils. Lowest price currently, $26. Oh, yeah, that is getting low. And this is a card that I'm pretty sure I called near this price point a year ago and put people on it too soon. But reality is if you dollar cost averaged along the way, because these got down pretty low. I think they were below 15 at one point uh, in North America. If you were snagging these here and there along the way, taking your uh, attacks of opportunity... These are going to double 
like th this wall is pretty steep when people buy them they buy four of i've definitely noticed an uptick in modern demand this fall like selling play sets of expensive modern cards i think i just sold a 450 dollar package of four foil silent clearing from mh1 and four foil wmcq promo ink moth nexus clearly to a hammer time player um major profits on those and you're not you didn't see those kind of orders six months ago mm-hmm uh yeah those are those look tasty i remember those showcase uh omnaths and it never quite uh, yeah there was a right time to buy them i do remember looking at those a good bit so i'm just pondering pondering these cards I do the showcases were kind of nifty. Zenicar Rising showcases were uh, no one seemed wild about them, but they weren't bad. Twenty five dollars for those foils for the showcase foils. Twenty five vendors, yeah. You're getting you're getting a handful of foils. Wow, that's a pretty good sell through on foils. I see a lot of LP foils. Yeah, you're de you're definitely. I mean, we just had wasn't there a TCG player sale the last couple days again? Uh, 15% Friday night. Which was, what, the 5th? Yeah, the 5th. So I see a bunch on the 5th. But even still, there was a bunch today, yesterday. Yeah, those sell through at a pretty good clip. But like 25 bucks for those is probably, uh, probably, yeah, a good bet, I think. So yeah, up 5 out of 8 Omnath decks in that top 8. Pretty crazy. Uh, and that's a... Wasn't that big of a Luris week. I mean, Luris is still present throughout here because over in the challenge on November 6th, it was won by Creativity Combo. 11 Planeswalkers in that in that deck and then four Indomitable Creativity, Prismari Commands are in there. And then they basically go get Sarah's Advocate and is that correct? Sarah's Advocate? Yet another MH2 card. Uh, top eighting stuff. Hmm. Uh, let me just find... That list had it in front of me a second ago. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so they had Sarah's Emissary, not Advocate, and one Emrakul, the Eons Torn, who does <laughs> a bit of double duty if he's in your deck, because if blue-black mill tries to mill you out, this prevents it. As long as they don't have an extirpate, extirpate as I uh, <laughs> found out the hard way this weekend playing Modern. We almost went from a PG-13 to a triple X podcast there. <laughs> well, it's funny because you and I have been debating this whole Luris phenomenon and really companions in general. And I think that's a, a pretty common uh, pivot point for discussions about modern right now. But I played modern this weekend and played against Luris in back-to-back -back, uh, first two matches because they were both Jund Saga. Um, and yeah, they have Luris, but you know what? Luris was not really the problem there, nor did it feel like the card that that was busted it's urza's saga <laughs> that is a ridiculous magic card that card is a good magic card uh and at the moment doesn't feel like it's going to get banned but definitely care you know is very high up the list and not 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 bannable, but just a very potent card one of the strongest lands in the format it would seem because here's the play pattern that typically unfolds for luris as i saw it and, and I perpetrated this multiple times. They bring Luris to their hand. They cast Luris. They're now six mana in on it. They recast something out of their graveyard. It's usually a pretty efficient creature. 
you kill Luris in response. They, they're now seven mana in, and they're up one card. That's mm-hmm. a very fair trade. Saga, on the other hand, comes down, and if you don't have a, your own Saga to go get Python Needle to turn off the Sagas, which would also turn off yours, so dubious, um, or Dress Down to destroy the tokens, and the Dress Down decks are still struggling to find, uh, find shape that matters in this format. The Saga comes down, they do their thing. There's some normal interactions back and forth. It can contribute to the mana production as necessary. If not, on the next turn, typically this happens mid-game, turns four, five, six, seven, and you're down to one or two cards in hand on both sides. They make the token. The turn after they make the token, then they go get the thing. A Nihil spell bomb against my deck was pretty effective. You know, I'm running Snapcaster, so they can go clear out the graveyard. Um, and I'm facing, because they have a couple more things, and they've searched up Shadow Spear or the Spell Bomb or whatever, and so their tokens are 3-3s three or 4-4s, four and now you've got to deal with both of them. I mean, that is a, it is a truly busted magic card. The amount of card advantage you get where it requires very specific interaction to deal with, you know, if you're running a Blood Moon or a Dress Down or a Python Needle or whatever, but a lot of this stuff in, is, is in the board. And, yeah, that, that's the card I would ha- have my eye on for Modern. Yeah, it's it does a lot of work and it's in an extremely low cost slot. Um in the sense that it's like you said, it's it's difficult to interact with as a card type and it's a land, so we I mean we all know how potent lands are and how good it is when you put spell effects on lands. So I I, I don't doubt it that it is a card on my short list. And even on weeks where it's not dominating, right? Or even like periods of metagame activity where it's not dominating, I still think of it as being on the short list because it's good no matter, like it's always going to be kind of hanging around and being good. And then like one card is going to get printed and we're going to be like, oh, okay, I guess like this card just skyrocketed to the front of the metagame again. And it really, it provides design constraints in the sense that they've got to be very, very careful about what one mana cast and cost artifacts they make now. Well, I mean, so in old magic, I would have said that's absolutely true. In new magic, they won't care, and then they'll just banners the saga. Maybe. That 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 is, I feel like, more the tenor that they operate in. The thing is, it's not that there's going to be a two card combo that makes saga like drastically more broken. It's much more likely that it just adds utility. Yes, and that, and that just keeps saga edging up like it's, it's like an s tier card in the format it's just so so good and fits in so many different places yeah it's not you're right it's not that a two card combo that you have to worry about it's just like oh like we have this deck that's really good and does a lot of like work and then also they play this card which is stupid and just like urza saga is just like oh this is even better for them than it was you know you take a very good deck and you power it up with this land for free it, like i was running jeskai scepter right and it made me start like trying to figure out if i'm supposed to be running saga in the mana base and if it doesn't fit there you start considering just going to two colors am i supposed to be blue black am i supposed to be blue red this deck is going to be jank anyway but how do i get closer to being able to compete with these real decks yeah and it's it's tough <laughs> like your your jank is going to be severely tested with the combination of things like Ragavan, Luris, and Saga in the format because they are such high efficiency engines that you better have your synergy shit together or you're just not going to be able to keep pace. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it really does feel like modern has gotten less and less friendly to the ability to play essentially fun cards. Like, I used to show up with Worldfire and Spellweaver Helix, I think. And, like, I could do pretty well at FNM or what have you, because, like, whatever, it didn't matter. But I feel like even now, that probably wouldn't fly in most stores, because it's going to be so easy. Like, everything is so powerful now. The good news is by round three, if you're playing Jank, you'll be meeting Jank at the lower tables. <laughs> That's like, true. <laughs> by, by, by round three, I bumped into Enchantress, yeah. and uh, we had a pretty fun match. And then got sp- spanked by Blue Black Mill after they extirpated, uh, I think, on back-to-back turns, uh, two key cards out of my deck that made it basically impossible to function. Yeah, extirpate is not like... Me- a, a good card in the way that people used to think it was for for people who weren't playing back in the extirpate and oh god was memory I want, I want to say memory vault but that's not it um people who weren't playing when those effects were a little more common as sideboard cards and standard uh a, a common belief amongst more amateur players was that they were really potent because like you would just name your opponent's best card and then they couldn't win and it was like uh no you're just gonna take the best card out of their deck but they still have 56 other cards that are good and they'll just kill you with those so they're not and surgical extraction was chief among them as cards people would play and think that they were pulling one over on you by extirpating your blood braid elves after they had already discarded or killed the first one. It's like, yeah, I'm just gonna beat you with sprouting thrinaxes. This isn't a problem. But <laughs> that doesn't mean that against certain decks, it won't occasionally find a mark that is actually crippling. Yeah. So, uh, Challenge on the sixth, creativity combo, an impressive win in first. And it's interesting because that is basically like a super friends deck with all the most powerful planeswalkers in the format. Renan six, three and five mana to fairies, and Jason Mind Sculptor, I believe. Um, causing problems for your opponent, and then it, eventually you have a token on the board and indomitable creativity in your hand, and you go for the win. Living end in second, Grixis mid range in third and sixth on the sixth. Uh, that's like Ragavan, Snapcasters, uh, four Darcy, two Croxa. I'm seeing, and then 22 instants and sorceries. I'm seeing a lot more Snapcaster lately, and that might be a, a card to be keeping an eye on because if the if configurations with Snapcaster um, get more prevalent, the card can easily gain ground given that it hasn't had a reprint since what Ultimate Masters. Yeah, I don't. I'd have to go back and look. It might have been that long. This that has a couple of cool versions too, um, and I think some of those might be potent, depending on how things shake out. This black red Turok uh, deck has been making the rounds uh, on Twitch, YouTube. The Dinosaur Hunter. <laughs> yeah, that was a good game. You played that on uh, was it Xbox? Uh, it had a variety of releases. The only one I ever played was the one on N64, which was basically a Goldeneye knockoff, but it was quite good. That's the one where you're you're shooting arrows at uh, dinosaurs in deep canyons, right? Uh, well, the one on N64, like I said, was a Goldeneye knockoff, so it was just arena combat um, with huh. guns. But that was the general scale of Turok games, was you ran around and you shot Dinosaurs. variety of guns of dinosaurs yeah yeah uh yeah so 
the this is yet another mythic from MH2 that's doing top eight action. The the version that I've been tracking, uh, let's see here, fifth place, two Dothy Voidwalker, four Dragon's Rage Channeler, three Crocs, a Titan of Death's Hunger, four Ragavan, and three Turok Dread Cantor. Turok's relevant because of a couple reasons. You end up wanting to kick it a lot of the time, uh, which costs four, but it's base CMCs too, so you can still have Lurus as your companion, which is very nice. And then it's got pro-white, so all of the prismatic endings and solitudes that a lot of the decks, including the four-color Omnath, are leaning on to uh, get rid of your creatures have trouble with this permanent. And if you kick it, they get hit with him to Turok, which is fun. Uh, they discard two cards randomly. Um, so it's funny because these uh, old border foils are real, real cheap. Uh, I almost called this out as a pick today. You can get the old border foils for about seven bucks, 60 listings left. And it looks like the borderless foils, and I'm not sure which of those two I prefer, to be honest, are about five bucks, and there's 76 near mint listings left on TCG. No major walls of any. It's uh it's a cool looking card. Um I am very amused that you continue to say, you know, kicking it with Turok. And mm-hmm. it just sounds like uh yeah, I'm kicking it with Turok, you know, kicking it with Turok. Uh it's you, know a, how I, you know how I do. Yeah, I, of course. It is a cool looking card. I like it. it. you know, if it's inexpensive, you know, if I'm buying it today, I don't know where I'm going with it. Like I don't know what my my what my angle is that I'm outing at this, but like, what did you say these old border foils are? Old The old borders are seven and the borderless are five. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it would be a cool card to buy just on the hopes that it, someone likes it for some reason, basically like it gains traction somewhere. I'm just, you just hoping that this deck continues to be a thing. Yeah. I mean, th- that would be your best case scenario. I'm looking at this and going, well, I don't know if that's going to happen, but it's a cool card that I like and it's inexpensive and maybe it'll be this deck. Maybe it'll be four years from now that someone figures out how to make this card cool. But uh, it's a, it's a card that seems has like has potential and I'd be, I probably would be willing to buy cheap copies just assuming that somewhere sometime it will become useful. It's in a thousand decks on EDH rec so far. Not super impressive, not nothing. If it, if it had a stronger EDH presence, I'd probably be more excited about it. It's not the kind of thing I want 100 copies of, but I'd be willing to bro- break off a playset and see where this goes and then just keep your eye on it. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's that's an in- one of the more interesting decks of the week for sure. And then we've also got um, uh, another, as I said, Grixis Midrange in 6th as it was in 3rd, and then Blue-White Control in 7th, Amulet Titan in 8th. So relatively diverse uh meta there with a couple of uh new slash rogue decks and then as you said the challenge on the seventh was five four color omnath blue black mill um and blue red murktide and first um so more kahiras here than yorion's or Luris's, but this was seven of eight decks having companions uh, four, four Kahira, one Lurus, one Yorion, and then one Gigantha. The Gigantha is for that very interesting looking eighth place deck because it's not burn. This is like Sly. It's for those that played Magic 10 years ago. Uh, four Abbot of Carol Keep. 
there's a dead spec that you don't see in modern very often. <laughs> uh, four Bone Crusher Giant, four Dragon's Rage Channeler, four Monastery Swift Spear, four Soul Scar Mage, four Firebolt, four Light Up the Stage, four Lava Dart, four Lightning Bolt, four Relica Progenitus in the main, and then four Arid Mesa and four Den of the Bugbear uh, alongside 12 Mountain to round this out. And then, and then bizarrely, like, there's no permanence with, oh, because Bone Crusher Giant is a three, so they can't use Luris. That's why they're on Gigantha. Mm. I get it. Gigantha. It's weird. I don't like how they spell that name. Yeah, I mean, Gigantha. so <laughs> they have a five, five for five randomly in their sideboard which doesn't seem really like part of their game plan but may as well have any companion better than none i suppose yeah well that's kind of my point but we don't need to get into it (laughs) excuse me uh all right so modern's still looking pretty interesting and honestly i had fun playing it like luris never bothered me the whole weekend the as i said saga seemed like a bigger problem in the format format's very powerful but good games Lots, lots of play decisions. That's that's what makes a good format for me. Like I don't care about winning a game of VDH. I don't really care if I win it modern. I just want the games to be interesting. Right. And the format does test your skill both in deck building and play. That's for sure. Which is all you can ask for, really. Exactly. All right. So moving on over to top paper movers of the week, we've got City of Brass out of Arabian Nights, basically drying up under I don't know somewhere between eight hundred and a thousand. There. I think the indexes were showing this card moving to like 2000 or something, but that's just silliness uh, based on the last posted price on TCG. If you look over at eBay and look at bins, you can get these in the eh, seven to 800 range, a couple of them near mint, and then they start pushing up pretty high. Um, I got one of these as a Christmas present when they were worth about 130, like five years ago. So pretty stoked about that gift. Kind of a weird Christmas present, but not a terrible, not terrible either. Totally normal from my father. Hmm. Uh, you know, I wrote an article once about how you shouldn't give uh, magic cards as Christmas gifts. Well, see, if it's a magic player giving it to a magic player, the odds of it being a successful gifting are much higher. True. My, my, I always, my, my take was that they're commodities and it's like giving somebody gas for your car. It's, I mean, if you're going to give me a bad, a well, a poorly thought out gift versus cash, I'll take cash all day long. <laughs> True. Uh, Okay, where are we? Top paper movers. Oh, City Brass. City, oh, brass. City Brass. Grim Hireling. Oh, looks like this was uh, Grim Hireling's 450 to 650. Uh, this is your pick. That was last week. Yeah, that's just Pro Trader. That's just Pro Traders taking the cream off the top of the the uh, buttermilk bin or whatever they call it. A churn. Yeah, I don't know what the term is for that. <laughs> Ancient technology that I, I know what you're that, talking about. The, it'll, the, it would it serve us well when we have to settle farms up north during the water wars, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, uh, nightmare lash out of mirrored in foils, thirty to fifty. This is an ancient foil, and isn't this the proto? Oh, I don't remember the other card name either. Yeah, this is a, it's one one for each swamp you control. It's an equipment. Um, I'm so, assuming somebody dipped into these because of zombies on the assumption that the blue black zombie decks might want this yeah i mean it's a mirrored and foil with no reprints so it's not like a lot would have been necessary to really 
move the price you know yeah if somebody bought three copies under that relatively loose zombie premise you probably get there yeah i got it as if it was even that many necessary um they're kind of revenant out of rise of eldrazi foils 50 to 90 a awesome vampire it's a vamp it doesn't really look like a vampire but it is and it doubles your swamps so foils get a nice boost there i'm sure well i shouldn't say that uh supply would have been quite low prior to this so it also wouldn't have taken many copies to move the needle but again uh oh there's the battle bond reprint on that isn't there oh and they put this in uh the crimson valkmaner product this time yep. around too but no foils so hence the foils popping yeah and you know i bet those let's see here can you actually get the battle bond foils let's take a look uh foil near mint yeah the foil the battle bond foils there's still a couple out there at 50 so yeah maybe if you're if you need one for yourself i wouldn't mind grabbing that um those risable drowsy ones aren't going to come back down much lower than 80 i would imagine there's lots of reasons to be building both vampires and zombies in fact i built markov the other night and i'm building wilhelt shortly so if i'm doing it so are many other people yeah yeah that's that's true I say that not because what I do means everybody else will do it, but because I am the most slack in terms of building new EDH decks. So if I'm motivated, it will <laughs> probably mean that the fringes are motivated. Gotcha. Uh, forgotten ancient foils out of Scourge, 50 to 90. Old original printing. There's lots of counter synergy stuff to build around. Has been for ages, always will be. Uh, Goblin Char Belcher has had some recent success in Modern. Foils from Mirrodin can still be had at 30, and that's after doubling from 15 this week. That seems wrong. Like, I mean, Charbrelcher is obviously on the fringes and always has been for Modern, but still, you would think that the people that play it, the devotees, as it were, would eventually upgrade to foils. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's just not that many people playing it, maybe. I don't know. That's, that is weird that the Mirrodin foils would have only been $15. That almost sounds like an errant data point. I think you guess. Sounds about right. Uh, quest for Ula's Temple at a World Wake. Non-foils, oh. 5 to $10 on the back of that Runo Stromkirk card that lets people build around sea monsters if they want to. Uh, Hive of the Eye Tyrant, 80 to 200 This is the Ampersand Hive of the Eye Tyrant. That can't be RE. That's uh, AFR Ampersand. Uh, foils going 80 to 200 Tell you this. I've got a real sweet looking cart going right now over at Card Market with ampersand promos that have showed up in modern decks lately. Oh. Because AFR is talked about as being a really bad set. That's not what it looks like to me. <laughs> There's a bunch of cards that AFR see in play in standard and modern and EDH, and some of them are in all three. And it was a summer set, and I suspect that given that these ampersand promos are few and far between and this hive of the eye tyrant one on tcg being at 200 basically means there's one copy posted at 200 and then there's just nothing and it's not like the eu vendors have a ton of them they just went to stores right so each store got one playset. and i think it's also true that the because they don't come out of promo packs with varying rarities that even the, the ones that are rares are equally rare to the ones that are mythics so, yeah. so it doesn't really matter which ones are mythics. It matters which ones are seeing play. Sure. Although, I mean, if we're talking about the ampersand promos, is that even relevant? Like, isn't just being an ampersand promo pr a primary driver of 
of that. You mean the collectability over the play pattern? Yeah, I mean, not like obviously play pattern will have some advantage, but I mean, if we're talking about cards that are hundreds, you know, upwards of a hundred bucks a piece, it doesn't seem like that's going to matter all that much. Well, currently you can snap off a bunch of the stuff that's supposedly two hundred, according to TCG Player, and some of this stuff isn't just like that's the lowest price listed. That's what it's been selling at. Like you have cards that are selling at one fifty on TCG Player that you can still get in Europe for sixty to seventy. So mm. I'm not going super deep on any of it, but I. Mm, I think I'm going to have to sit, sit like, throw a 500 or or $1,000 at it, pick up a small grouping, you know, smattering of onesie twosies stuff. I suspect it will get there. You'll just need to give it time. Like, you don't expect to flip it tomorrow. You go ahead and post it at, if you're looking at a double up, go ahead and post it if you're comfortable. But I don't think you're in any rush because you can just be lowest price on eBay or TCG. And it'll be one of those things that you posted five months ago and then boom, it just you sell one copy or a collector picks up one of each of three things and you get to ship them all together. It's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't expect to move them quickly and I wouldn't be holding a lot of them. Uh, but it does seem like just about any of them bought at a reasonable price now will return something, give you some sort of return down the road. I suspect the EDH playable ones, you just go ahead and snap a few of those off. Like I got some circle of dreams, uh, ampersand, promos in europe a few weeks back and i'm just like i'll just put a couple of those in decks forget about them for a year and check back in and i bet i'll be pleasantly surprised yeah edh playable but maybe not like the most obvious ones yeah uh moving along here we got mull drifter foils at a lore win 24 to 60 on the back of modern elementals big big gains in mull drifter foils on the back of that deck doing well there's um, so many mull drifters too which is kind of wild he who hungers out of uh Champions of Kamigawa foils from 250 to 750. That's a somebody going after Kamigawa spirit specs. Um, and then Abundance out of Urza's Saga going from 4 to 14 alongside all the other versions of Abundance because Jason called it on BSB explaining its uh, silly interactions with Grawlnock, the uh, frog that was revealed as part of this set, Crimson Vow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the Abundance thing, I think, popped up pretty quick but if they were talking about on bsb that might put it in front of a larger audience a larger audience ready to go pull the trigger yeah uh moving on over to top magic online movers of the week we've got steel shapers gift at a fifth dawn going from five tickets to seven and a half uh 48 gains on the back of hammer time variants and there's also an oswald Fiddlebender pod mono white pod deck that's floating around that aspiring spike has been fooling around with on stream that's uh, put up some five O's and that card is another AFR card that looks pretty good. Um, and it's going to show up in things like Ozgear, the reconstructor in EDH from here to eternity because pod effects are just strong Yeah, wherever you can pull them off. Turns out that was a good magic card then. And it's still a good magic card now. Yep. So I, Oswald Fiddlebender is probably going to end up on my list sooner or later here. I think you can get them at like three bucks for the yeah. uh, for the foils. Yeah, I think there are several AFR cards that I haven't really talked about yet, but are definitely something I'll be visiting eventually, and that would would be one of them, I think. Yep, yep. So wrapping things up here on the Magic Online side, we have uh, Soul Scar Mage from Amonkhet. Dollar fifty to two fifty mono red aggro that we just talked about. Brown Crusher Giant from Eld also moved uh, as a result of that deck top aiding. Three tickets to six and a half for that one. One hundred sixteen percent gains. Blight Step Pathway out of Kaldheim seeing a lot of play in standard went from 
one and a half ticks to two and a half and then subtlety went from two to four presumably on the back of living end doing reasonably well in modern and it's the deck where you see it most often right now okay can see that uh segment three our cards to watch uh what have you what are you getting started with here all right, so my first card to watch is one that I could have sworn we already called. I thought it would have been on cast last spring, but I didn't find it in the logs, so I suppose not. Um, Maskwood Nexus Foil Extended Arts cannot remain this cheap for very long. They're currently available for about $7. Call it 12 plus months to get to 15 I'm putting a conditional timeline on this one because there's still plenty of these lying around. Gaming companies got 110 copies at seven bucks, uh, and then their competitor Bill and Ogres Direct, which is a name I've never noticed on TCG before, but apparently they have 50,000 plus sales, so presumably they are mimicking the Gaming Co. model. Can you change your name? I don't think so, but maybe you can. Um, between the two of them, there's 164 copies listed at seven bucks. So there's only 43 listings, but there are absolutely big walls here. So you got a couple options. You can nibble now, keep an eye on it, just have it on your check-in list every few weeks and see if it's, it's draining and you want to nibble off some more. You can go real deep and just buy the 110 copies from gaming company. And I almost put them in my <laughs> cart the other night. I was like $700 on a mid, mid-tier EDH fea is that the right move it might be like i have a relative i'm relatively comfortable with mid to long timelines as long as they deliver and this thing is extremely uh flexible you talk about open-ended synergies right that's a concept i've talked about many times on this cast this is just a default inclusion in most tribal builds it's four mana for an artifact creatures you control are every creature type the same is true for creature spells you control and creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield. And then three tap, create a two, two blue shapeshifter creature token with changeling. So it works in the changeling decks. It works in your vampire deck. It works in your will help deck. If you want to build a deck that uses two creature types, like say shamans and dragons or something, and this will just, any bonuses from your shamans will go to your dragons and your dragon bonuses will go to your shamans. And then you're going to make Dragon Shamans for three mana. It's it's a relatively straightforward card that just is going to get slotted in everywhere for ages. And I also don't see them it being the kind of card that they're going to include a fancy version of anytime soon. Because it's not going to be a huge priority. It's one of those like kind of odd, seemingly narrow but not really uh, artifacts that just doesn't see a reprint other than uh, a non-foil basic version in a commander deck every now and again. And this premium version is just going to sit in these walls stuck at $7 for another three months, six months, 14 months. But once those walls clear out, it, like, it, it'll start sliding up slowly but surely to 15 Yeah, I mean, first of all, if, uh, it's, abs- if it's going to show up anywhere, it's going to be in Commander decks, right? Like, this isn't the type of card that you see... In uh, th- that's where they'll put it. They'll put copies in in the various commander products. So your extended art foils are not going to be in danger there. Um, these uh, these tri- these cards that set creature types. You have conspiracy and xenograft, both previous cards that do the same thing, are reasonably popular. Uh, and those are also color locked, whereas Masswood Nexus is not. So that's nice. 
Uh, I do think that these will probably do well on a long enough time frame. I think you definitely get like, you know, you've got this marked at 12 plus months, which is probably accurate. You know, it's going to be a ways before you start to see the movement here, most likely, especially with these walls in place. But on a long enough time frame, these definitely do move a good bit because they will slowly drain and you're bit not going to see a preferable version in a very long time, I would imagine. 10,000 reported decks on ADH Rec so far, and it was printed less than a year ago. So it's doing very well. And this is a heavy, heavy tribal year. I think we're heading into a relatively heavy, tri- heavy, heavy tribal year. Kamigawa is likely to be very tribal focused. Uh, Dominaria as well. Um, and the Brothers War, probably also true, because be a ton of artifact creatures there, presumably. And this works in all of those scenarios. So... Yeah, this is get there. I think I'll probably bite off something like twenty copies at seven bucks, and then check back in in a couple months. Yeah, I could see that. Worth right. checking. Right. You might set yourself up to possibly buy down the chain, but if not, you know that the price is moving upwards. Um. Yeah, my first card this week is. I was a little surprised. I thought we had talked about this. If not this year, then last year, but I don't see it on either sheet, so it's been quite some time. Uh, if ever, Massacre Worms, specifically the Extended Arts out of Magic 21. I'm looking at the, the foil EAs here. Those are seven bucks right that, there, right now. Uh, Massacre Worm is in 16,000 EDA track decks. It's going to get some additional traction with the new Slug Commander, too, uh, which is essentially a new version of uh massacre worm toxrel the corrosive is the one that's going to show up in but massacre worm has been popular regardless this you know and it's in magic 21 like i thought it was in double masters but that's worm coil engine which had a lot of volume but massacre worm was not so i think the supply is probably considerably more constrained as well um and it might be a little easy to mix it up with worm coil because the art the bo- they're two borderless cards with the giant worms on them um but there's not, you know, the supply is like medium. There are, oh, my TCG player page crashed apparently. There, what is this page doing? Yeah, it just crashed. Uh, I think there were something like 60 vendors right now with foil copies of Massacre Worm, but no one has a deep wall. So there'll be a little bit of time to get you there. Uh but they're still, you know, you're not going to beat this version. It will at least be one of the best versions, even if they come up with something really wild for it. Um, but we could also go years and years and years without seeing anything preferable. So given that this is pretty popular in EDH, you're going to get a bump now as, as people build a little bit of Toxrel, but it is by no means uh, hanging on Toxrel. Uh I think you're you're probably going to see this sometime next year in good position. Maybe maybe Massacre Worm will go from seven to twenty ish. Yeah, so we're talking foil borderless, and it's good art. They look good in person. I got some in stock. Um, I suspect I am sitting on these for another year or so. The sixty-seven listings, no major walls. It's going to be one of those slow, steady chipaways. Yep. Not gonna happen right away, but it'll be pretty solid in the long run. Okay, I can agree with that. Um, next one I'm looking at is uh, counter to prevalent theory. Um, 
A lot of people say don't buy commanders, buy the cards that will matter. Thing is, if the commander is good enough, the original version ends up being worth a lot of money. Um, you don't want to do this with uh, a flavor of the month commander that's like the fourth best commander in a given set. You want to do this with a top five commander of the year. And Will Helt, the Rot Cleaver, is looking like he's in position to do just that. If you look at the top commanders on EDH Rec for the past month, uh, we've got Will Helt at number one. Number two is Prosper Tomebound, Edgar Markov's in third, Tovalar Dire Overlord is fourth, and Kenrith is in fifth. So fancy versions of Edgar Markov from 2017 are well over $100 now. And seems pretty likely that... I don't think Will Helt's going to end up being an Edgar Markov level success. I don't think you're looking to get go 10 times on your Will Helts or anything. But you're probably going to go two to three times along the way here would be my guess. There's going to be people that buy the Will Helt uh, deck and then upgrade it. But there's also going to be people that have a zombie deck already and are going to buy Will Helt to either add to it or to rebuild around him. And if that goes on for long enough, then you're going to end up in a situation where fancy versions are... You know, currently you can get them, let me just bring it up, Will Helt, Extended Arts, these are the ones that come out of the um, Midnight Hunt Collector Booster Packs, because there's a foil regular version of Will Helt that curls, of course, in the as the face card on the actual Commander deck, but if you get them out of the Collector Boosters, you get the non-foil Extended Art, so that's the one I'm calling. The extended arts are down to 42 listings near mint on TCG Player. They're at about six bucks. So for me to say that that's going to go, say six or seven to fifteen in say a year, seems pretty reasonable. Hmm. Let's see. And you, what is the, what does the supply on this look like right now? 42 listings near mint, no major walls. Yeah. So. I, we we do differ here in our opinion of Wilhelm as a commander. So I can very plainly see that he's been popular this week and really this month. I could be way off base here. I could be way off base, but I, he doesn't seem good or interesting to me. <laughs> okay. I'm 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 sort of like bewildered that Wilhelm is as popular as he is. I think people just wanted a new zombie commander, and he was really the the only thing they gave us i just whenever he's a pretty good engine yeah i mean the the zombie deck wants to do a couple things cycle zombies in and out of the yard for effect so you got a grave packed out a zombie dies everybody loses a creature you gain and lose life triggering other effects like sanguine bonds and whatever and at the beginning of your ups and the other effect is you sack a zombie, you draw a card, which keeps the the action flowing. This is a pretty strong, sensible commander that only costs four to get into play. I, I I'm going out on a limb here. Um, I'm I'm not impressed with him, but but that doesn't mean that it's not good. I mean, clearly people are playing the card at the moment, so this is. But my word is not gospel here. Um. I think the, the, the price will probably, you'll probably hit your price 
your your price projection here regardless. Uh, people are going to build. Some people will continue to build Will Hell. You'll, your attrition is on your side. Um, if he's the most popular this month, he is going to carry on from here for a little while. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't think your projection is wrong, but I I'm I don't understand why people are building this commander. He just I, I hear what you're saying to me. I still don't find him interesting or compelling. I think his power level is low and he doesn't do anything cool. But people do buy him and play him, so you'll still get there. It's worth pointing out that uh, a commander that faces a deck that a lot of people buy and register with EDH rec is going to have inflated numbers. As opposed to a card that just happens to come in a in a set that is not a commander deck. So mm-hmm. the the risk here is that Wilhelm fades. Now, if you want to play chicken and see if he's still doing well two months from now and see what you can get the extended arts at at that point, you can play that game. You've got other opportunities, and I think that's actually a reasonable course of action. The The thing that's got me thinking, not putting the conditional timeline on this like I did with Maskwood Nexus, is that this just came out recently, two months ago, and there's less of this than there is the foil extended art Maskwood Nexuses, and those came out six months prior. So there's 70 plus listings for those. There's only 40, low 40 listings for Wilhelm. Says to me, they're selling at a pretty brisk pace. And we can actually see how well they're doing. And if you look at just the sales for today, you've got uh, five copies sold today. And that's pretty pretty consistent day in, day out for these extended arts. So if there's five people a day, they're going to buy a copy of this. These are not going to get replenished from the Midnight Hunt collector boosters very easily because the ev on those is pretty low so i don't imagine gaming company is dying to crack another pallet of those anytime soon well yeah and that's what i mean is the, i i i could sit here and go this card doesn't seem good i don't know why people are playing it like i guess if you're starving for a zombie commander that's new he scratches that itch but i wouldn't expect him to maintain any popularity in the long run yeah people are still out here buying this card so that's all that really matters, my opinion about him aside. All right, let's talk about your next one. Uh, my other card this week is a card that I kind of didn't realize existed, but it's out there and seems to be doing pretty well. It's called Flux Channeler, and this is from War of the Spark. And we definitely talked about it during the War of the Spark set review, but I feel like I haven't heard the name since then. It's an uncommon from War of the Spark. There are no other versions of this card. It's just the pack copy that showed up. Remember, War of the Spark was also before... um, Booster fun. Yeah, before all that stuff blew up. But this is a 3-mana 2-2 blue creature. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, proliferate. So a lot of proliferate triggers available with Flux Channeler. Uh, there, It is in something like 10,000 EDH rec decks right now. It is only printing as War of the Spark. Uh, foils on Flux Channeler are four bucks. There are 21 vendors. Nobody has more than four copies. Most people have one. So you're looking at like 30 to 35 total foil copies of this on TCG Player right now. It moves... Um, I mean, you're looking at one yesterday, probably like one-ish a day. It might even be a little lower than that. Yeah, as I'm scrolling through, it's it's they're not it's not that move rapidly, one every couple days. But at four bucks, I think that's a very easy buy-in for a lot of people. You can buy it, stick it away, 
And, you know, a year from now, there aren't going to be, there's probably not going to be many more flux channelers showing up. God knows when they're going to print this again. Like, could they reprint this next set? Sure. But it could also go a decade without seeing a reprint. Um, it's really just totally up in the air. It would have to be someplace where proliferate exists. So that does narrow it to some extent. Um, in any case, I think $4 foils here are probably going to be, put you in really good shape on flux channeler come a year from now. I'm sure my commentary on this during the set review for War of the Spark was that this auto includes in Atraxa Planeswalkers, um, and that's still true. And Atraxa is the number two ranked commander for the last two years on EDH Rec, and even in the past month with everybody focused on the new hot items du jour, she's still number eight. So I'm sure that contributes uh, somewhat to Flux Channeler's appeal, and as you said, these are just they're draining out slowly and steadily. It's also a cute little thing that people should be pulling out of their bulk because I think non-foils are still 50 cents, but I would imagine they'll end up buy listing decently down the road when it doesn't see a reprint for ages and ages. And Yeah, you- I mean, there's a, depending on the type of operator you are, there's a chance you're supposed to buy the non-foils in huge volume <laughs> and just stash them and hope to uh, like quadruple or quintuple your that price in a year. But I don't want to deal with that, and I assume you don't either, so... No, I, I'm all about bricks like that if it looks like they're going to make sense. Currently, CK is only offering 15 cents for them in non-foil and doesn't want foils at all. So not tremendous buy list signals there. Um, if you pull the like, Japanese foil out of a Japanese war box, certainly pull it out of your the bulk where you may have misplaced it and either slide it into a deck or get ready to sell it in a year or so. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I the the the. the Bylaw support might be kind of weak. That doesn't surprise me. Um, and I wouldn't have thought much of it until I saw how few foils there were. I mean, 10,000 decks and 21 vendors. It's like, all right, somebody's buying the dang card. There's definitely, even if it's not very quickly, there's clearly a continued demand here. Yep. All right. So my final one is the, the deck. A sealed product. Don't do this very often. Um, Will Health's deck is called Undead Unleashed. You can get them all day over on Amazon at about 40 bucks. Maybe you'll get a Black Friday deal and get them for cheaper. I don't think this is the ca- a, a situation where you want to buy the case that has one of each of the decks this time. I think you just want to buy a bunch of Undead Unleashed. Markov's hmm. deck is worth like 200 plus, something like that. And I think even the oversized Markov is going for 30 bucks on TCG Player. The oversized card. <laughs> if Will, if Travis is wrong and I'm right, and Will Health has staying power, and that's by no means guaranteed, the, the likelihood that the Will Health deck ends up being like $72 a year from now on TCG Sealed seems pretty high to me. And... At minimum, it'll be solid trade bait in your local playgroup. Um, shipping sealed product, you always have to think about the the fact that the sealed product is going to be more expensive to ship when you sell it online, so that bites into your margins somewhat. But I'd be looking at these as hold them for two years and then check back in. The, uh, the zombie deck is unique amongst all the decks released this fall for Crimson Vow and Midnight Hunt because most of them have very low... Uh, card value based on prices the day before they were announced. But this one was about 130, where a lot of the others were something like anywhere from 40 to 60. 
130 is a lot. That means there's a bunch of key zombie staples in there that matter. And obviously the prices on those are going to go down as all of these Wildheld decks get get popped for those cards and resold because, you know, dealer costs on these might be 25 or $30 depending on their volume. And they'll flood the market for a while. But soon enough, if Wilhelm has any staying power, uh, these decks are going to be worth some good money. And the thing is, it doesn't even hinge on Wilhelm staying popular. It, you just need zombies to stay popular. And that seems like a foregone conclusion. I mean, the if you look at uh, most popular tribal themes on EDH Rec, number one is elves at almost 11,700 decks. And zombies is number two at 11,000 decks followed by dragons, vampires, and goblins. So you're talking about the classic tribes of Magic the Gathering, and that gives me a lot of confidence in this Wilhelm deck. Uh, it clearly it seems like there's some potential value here with that being pretty chock full of cards people are going to be interested in at a tempting price point. You've got Wilhelm who... Um, my personal opinion aside, seems like it will probably end up doing just fine, uh, most likely. Uh, if you think I'm an idiot and wrong all the time, this looks even better than basically I said it was, I said he's dumb. So if you think I'm really wrong all the time, then that's a signal that you should buy it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, especially keeping an eye out for these during Black Friday sales, that sounds like it's going to work real well for you because I would not be surprised to see some opportunities for this since that's exactly the type of product I feel like the stores like to put on sale, uh, for Black Friday. Of course, the other thing is with buying anything on Amazon, if it just so happens you have reason to have an Amazon credit card, but you haven't set it up yet, you can buy like four of these and get most of that cart for free. Yeah. I think the I think the cat the credit on a new Amazon card is 150 or something. Yeah, yeah, I never bother with that, but that is uh, at least with the Amazon one. But that is true; you could pull that off too. Like there's a there's a free. there's a Liliana Death's Majesty in this deck. There is a Butcher of Malakir. There's a Cemetery Reaper. There's a Death Baron. There's a Diagraph Colossus. They put a Gravespawn Sovereign in there. Um got a uh lord of the accursed so basically a, like all of the relevant zombie lords are accounted for diagraph captain as well and army of the damned some a couple of damned new, good looking <laughs> <laughs> a couple of new cards that are specific to the deck of course that'll probably be gainers since they're zombie specific over time and sky diamond soul ring talisman of dominance and endless ranks of the dead it's just a bunch of like one to five dollar sometimes ten dollar zombie cards that are going to go in all the zombie decks so that would be my sealed call for the month yeah i mean i think that works i you know i i, I generally don't get don't get too much into the sealed product uh but it does seem like a pretty solid choice if you want to go that route Notably, the vampire deck is very different. A lot of the good vampires were not printed there. So it's mm. not just the foils that are going to go up there. There's plenty of good vampire cards that are just were just completely left out of the vampire uh, deck and are likely to rise accordingly. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I can't say that I kept too close a track on it. Uh, 
but I will take your word. All right, for topics of the week, we got to go through the final Vow spoilers, maybe point out some good cards, and we'll follow up on that with a proper set review next week. And we should also talk about this secret layer uh, special drop that seems to have leaked last week, although it's hard to tell if it was intentional or not. It wasn't a leak. It was the artist posted it. Well, yeah, that's. I mean, it's a, it's a leak if marketing didn't approve the timing of that. <laughs> oh, I mean, I presume. So this appears to be a. I, I don't even know what to call this thing. Do we have an official name on it? It, it is the Secret Layer Times MSCHF. And I'm sorry to say that despite being in the design space, I don't recognize this outfit, but they look a lot like uh, 50 or 100 other ones that I'm aware of globally that are. Some top tier artists that work with major brands charge a ridiculous amount of money and and do strong design work. Yeah. Um, so and, and they're involved in all sorts of different multimedia projects that are both commercial and artistic. Where I was going with it, I believe this is the first actual collab like collaboration of this nature that we've seen in a secret layer. Like you've seen Obviously, like My Little Pony and Walking Dead and stuff like that. But those are essentially wizard-led, whereas this seems like it was intended to be a different tone, different type of product. It's a much trendier, cooler, less licensed. It's not a licensed product. It's a collab. Uh, And I'm using very heavy air quotes when I say that. (laughs) Yeah. So I think the lack of like an official channel announcement was intentional. Um, because it's they're not announcing the latest Transformers tie, and it's like, oh, this is a street drop. We're gonna set up a <laughs> a temporary, you know, a, a ghost store and sell these in New York City for forty eight hours type of deal. Um, oh God, let please let them do that so I can hop on a flight and go snag snag one by waiting overnight and sleeping on the ground. And I, then, I and then you know, selling I it for twenty three thousand dollars. I could see them doing a a pop up release at some point but knowing wizards they do the pop-up release and it would be in like dayton ohio or something and people are like what the hell is this um but you know all this aside the looks the appearance is very good i i think the reception here was very strong to the aesthetic design and interestingly enough the cards chosen were not I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm not obnoxious. Like they're very cool looking cards that all have their niches, but there's nothing super universal here. Blood Moon is probably the most of the the group, which is kind of cool because it's like... Well, Swords to Plowshares is the most ubiquitous. Yeah, but you're correct, but also has a ton of versions out there already. I, I guess the point where I'm going with this is that I like the fact that there's some very cool versions of cards here, but doesn't feel like they just put like us they just dumped money into it if that makes sense there's no monocrypt here or anything like that right like these are going to kind of stand on the cool design rather than just the baked in card value it's like somewhere in the middle like it's it's a pretty strong release cut to ribbons is a weird include because it's such a forgotten card that doesn't really matter anywhere um and it's unfortunate because the design of that is very strong I do wonder if cut to ribbons was something like the guy who did it wanted to do that card or something like that. Just like the premise. Yeah. Yeah. So 
It's Blood Moon, Grim Tutor, Swords to Plowshares, Teferi's Puzzle Box, Planes, and Cut to Ribbons. Blood Moon's seen plenty of play in Modern. Grim Tutor is a solid EDH card, so Swords to Plowshares. It's also Cube, also Legacy. Uh, Teferi's Puzzle Box, on art alone, this is a huge winner. Um, and it's, you know, sees combo play in EDH. The planes being a golf course, people were seemed most to have the most polarized reactions to. Um, they were all doing the usual thing people do when they interpret art and say they could have done it themselves in Photoshop. Uh, I think they needed to look, take a harder look at some of the detail on that card. I invite them to try to recreate it themselves in Photoshop. The which which card planes? The planes. Yeah, it's, the planes is certainly yeah definitely the most divisive of the options here. I saw a lot of polarized reactions. People saying that they thought they thought the cards were super ugly, etc. I think that there's a there's a certain um, psychology that responds poorly to things that are outside of the expected template. I also think there's a psychology that responds poorly to disparate design put side by side. So if you take a bunch of different templates and and put them alongside each other they're going to be interpreted differently than if you present them one at a time. Um, bottom line, I think the Blood Moon, the Grim Tutor, the Source of Plowshares, and the Fairy's Puzzle Box will be sought after. And that's enough to make this drop relevant. The only question is, when, where is this drop anyway? Because there's no official announcement about the date on this, as far as I know. There's no... We don't know if this is happening on the partner website or Wizards or somewhere else. We don't know if it's in person only or online. We just don't know. So as soon as we know, we'll let you know. Yep. I I do think the Blood Moon... I'm inclined to say the Blood Moon is probably going to be the most expensive card here because it's the most... I want to say the most useful, but I say that and like... It's competitively useful, but nobody really plays this in EDH, whereas... I think it goes Swords... Blood Moon. Swords is up there. Teferi's Puzzle Docs, Grim Tutor, Planes, Cut Ribbons. But but Swords has so many copies. Yeah, but this is it doesn't have very many good premium copies. Doesn't it have like three? <laughs> You're thinking Path. Hold on. Hold on. You've got... You've got the mystical archives, double mystical archive arts, yep. which are neither of them are stellar, but they're doable. No, the the normal mystical archive arts real bad, and then the Japanese alternate one is fine, <coughs> nothing special, yeah. and that's right. it. That's, that's actually it. That's all the rest are regular frame foils. Well, there's there's commander the commander legends one, right? The extended art commander legend one. That's kind of where he's kind of oh, doing yeah. that. Also, which is also not a great execution. I, I mean, I think that one has a, a cool. I, I think that's decent. I think that's at worst decent. Yargle is not my preference, but it's out there. And that uh, then there's that one that was done by that other artist. See, here's um, here's the thing. People, the there's a judge promo. The constant issue with the artistic direction on on this card is that they always think they have to literally show you the person putting down the sword and picking up the plowshare. <laughs> yeah. And so almost every version of this art from the beginning of Magic has been bad because it doesn't need to be that literal. And and this this version says, fuck that, just make it look cool. <laughs> and that there's no sign of a plowshare anywhere on the card. It's just a sick-looking sword with electricity shooting out of it, set up very similarly to the metal posters secret layer release from last year and 
I think this is the best looking version of the card that ever existed. The 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 overall the art across the ages on this card has been largely poor. The best version is the version that appeared in Conspiracy and uh, Iconic Masters and Battle Bond. It's not even close. But that is uh, Therese Nielsen art. So there are yeah. those of us that would like to sidestep that. I mean, kudos to her skill. That is very very well done. Um, but I'm you know happy to swap out yargles and nielsen's for this this badassery yeah it is don't get me wrong i mean this one is cool uh it also won't speak to everyone because it's not just a a generically cool well-done piece of art it's very stylistic which means some people will absolutely love it but it's not gonna be as universal as some of the other artworks will um i also saw somebody make a comment that like they're not even sure I mean, this will be okay because it's official wizards, but might not have even been. If this was in a card altar, it might not be tournament legal. Well, that's that's a very relevant criticism that was echoed <laughs> in a bunch of different ways. I think the cardboard crack comic tackled it as well last week, mm. and they're right. <laughs> the yeah. that that uh... see, it's a Pandora's box because if Wizards makes that official, makes it official that you can bring any old altar at judge's discretion the what's what they're worried about is that people are going to bring fakes and then cover them with all bad altars well and yeah that and just feel feel proxies to the table so i mean so so for our listeners here who might not be up to it the card as depicted in this secret layer swords to plowshares says swords the number two plowshares and in the comp like the official rules like you can't play that card because there is no card legally named swords number two plowshares um so that that's the the concern here uh i, I think we're you know, at, i think we're at the point where the the rule hinging on recognizability needs to get thrown out the window. That doesn't matter well, anymore. The, all that, all that sh- they should just retrofit it to be official products allowed. Yes, which I think is probably what has happened here. And that's what I was. That's what I was going to say. To your point was you can make that you can complain that this doesn't. You know, aside from the naming convention, which is I think is a similar but separate complaint. The appearance of the card not looking anything like a normal magic card. I feel like we crossed that bridge several secret layers ago. And if it's not officially codified, it probably will be eventually that any official wizard's release is tournament legal. Even if it looks ridiculous because we printed it and people want to spend their money on their cards and we want to make sure you can play it. All right, so we left off on Innistrad, Crimson Vow. Oh, we didn't actually talk about whether people should buy it. Or I guess we well, can't well, we talk about that because we don't know anything about it. Yeah, yet, we don't know anything we? about it. We don't have the price. We don't have the release data, details, etc. Yeah. I think so you, we'll come back to it, I guess. I feel pretty confident you're going to buy this. The question is whether this is their... It's got a red secret layer box. It's a collab. The question becomes whether they're going to try to get 99 for this. Oh, I, I could see this going... I could see this going for more than that, honestly. It depends. They, they need to tell me how many they're printing. Yeah. If you're going to do a, if you want to charge more, I need to know the the limit of the number of units. Yeah. I this if if they did this, quote unquote correctly, this will be very limited drop. 
And if you thought you were annoyed about how limited their products were before, this <laughs> may this I would not be surprised if this set the record for the hardest magic product to get your hands on, essentially, um, at release. Well, we'll see. We'll see when they bother to tell us where, where, where and when. Yeah. So time will tell. It's going to be real funny if they say this is like 10,000 unit max, 5,000 unit max and they put a $99 price tag on it because a high price tag, if the community, if Reddit and the professor decide that it's a bad value at the higher price tag and tell everybody not to buy it, then it just means that we should buy it for sure. Yeah, <laughs> because, I mean, because the less of it they sell, the more valuable it'll be. So it's the Rudy dilemma. If this thing is really available, like high, high availability uh, and like a reasonable-ish price point, I'll say up below $100. I will be surprised and also not as interested, especially if it's very available. Um, but if it's at all constrained in supply, it seems like it's going to be a, a pretty pretty obvious pickup um, just based on it being very rare and collectible. I think... Uh, and it, what what will be hold on, what will be particularly amusing will be the player reaction to it because uh, collab stuff in the grander scheme of like collectibles, not just magic, are usually pretty rare, and that's just part of that space, right? Like that's not a that's a feature, not a bug, essentially. And it will be real funny if they do that with this and then magic players get all up in arms about how, you know, you can't find this copy and this is ridiculous and it's reselling for $600 or whatever. And it's like, have you seen any collab product of any sort? Do you know what sneakers are? Have you looked at that market? Like, come on, man. What do you expect? Supreme, et cetera. I mean, mm -hmm. the best the best possible scenario here is that it's limited, but time limited. And then they pr put a price tag on it that's higher than normal but not crazy so 49.99 59.99 something like that the closer you get to 100 plus the more skeptical i get if i don't know how many units there are but then again you got to kind of got to do some psychological math on how many people drop out of the market every time you add 10 bucks and i kind of feel like doubling from 50 to 100 will get a bunch of people screaming rip off which might lead to even if they intended for it to be an unlimited drop it actually will be a very limited drop just because there won't be the demand to uh, force them to print additional units. So I need more details, but I, I'm optimistic that this is going to be a, a worthy uh, portion of the portfolio this year. Yeah. I, I, I mean, if they really want to lean into the collab angle of this, it's going to be a lottery. You know, you'll, you'll have 48 hours or whatever to put in for a lottery to buy it. And, you know, then you'll get a dib on whether you want to buy one or two type of thing. Uh, since I think that fits this space a little more than others, in which case you just put in for the lottery and hope for the best. Okay, uh, Crimson Vow here. Uh, we got the full set spoiled. Um, I mean, by far, I think the most interesting card here is Mind Goblin, right? Mind Goblin. Yeah, mine goblin these nuts. Oh, she! <laughs> Do you see that card that was floating around on Twitter this week? No. It was uh, a flip card on the front. It said mine goblin, and when you flipped it over, it was like a squirrel with nuts, and it was like these nuts. And if you didn't say it, it turned back over. It was really good. Somebody should post it in the Discord. That's sweet. It was funny. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This set is like pretty underwhelming, personally. 
uh, on a overwhelming view here well okay. an, an overarching view there are some, some opportunities but my takeaway is just kind of eh. we'll get into this next week but it, it in very much like midnight hunt this is tribal and edh focused there's not a lot of competitive staples here they basically knocked all of that threw all of that onto the table with mh2 but i see lots of stuff that's going to be brickable given which tribes we're talking about, which is some of the top five tribes in the game. Uh, vampires being one of them. And so, for instance, Timothar, Baron of Bats. Six mana, four, four, Vampire Noble, Ward. Discard a card. Ward is very nice in EDH. People have to give up extra resources to target things. They're, they're going to be loath to do that. And then, he's, he's pretty solid. Uh, sorry, go ahead. You can keep... Describing the card. My apologies. All good. Whenever another non-token vampire you control dies, you may pay one and exile it. If you do, create a bat. You get a 1-1 black bat. And then when uh, that bat deals damage to another player, you get to sack it and get the exiled card back to the battlefield tapped. So it gives some longevity um, to your vampires, but also allows you to sack them for value and then get them back later. That's a mythic. <laughs> it's going to have border uh, extended art foils. Bloodline Keeper is a mythic from the la- one of the last Innistrad sets, and that thing is uh, $20 non-foil, $30 for the FTV transform version from original Innistrad. And Timothar strikes me as the kind of card where they're going to go back to Innistrad or vampires are going to be important again in two, three, four years. And Timothar will be a $20, $30, $40 card. And the foil extended art version will be $30, $40, $50, $60, $70. Like this, whatever the lows are on this, because it's not getting played in standard, that I'm definitely snapping off some. Uh, well, Timothar is a commander product, so we won't get in a foil, right? We'll only get the EA. Oh, okay. So we're talking about the EAs, and they'll be even harder to find than if there was FEAs of it. Yeah. So, I mean, Timothar, yeah, he's really good. I don't think he's going to be a good commander, um, because just primarily because he's monocolor. That kind of cuts him off at the knees there. Oh, no, he's a 99. Yeah, very much. But he is a solid 99, so I think he'll he'll <clears throat> he'll, he'll get some good traction. He'll be a long-time vampire fan. Or, or long time inclusion in vampire decks, but they have a, a lot of options now. Like back in the day, uh, there were so, like you, it, putting together a a really full ninety nine in vampires. You were kind of scraping a little bit, but we are way past that oh, at yeah. this point. So I, there is real competition these days. Absolutely. I put together Markov this weekend, and the hardest uh, place to determine slots was the five to eight cost vampires, because there's a ton of heavy hitters up in that at that level, um, and Timothar will compete there. So that that's relevant. But most of them are rares, not mythics. And he's good enough that I think he knocks one of the other ones out as opposed to struggling to take a slot. And he's also just going to be popular casually too, right? Like just bricks of normal versions of Timothar will probably do well because I bet it gets real cheap. Uh, it could. Yeah, that's very possible. Uh, depending on how well he's received. I, 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 Yes, I think everything you said is correct. He probably knocked some people out. But I mean, you know, you've got... What was the one? Uh, 
we've mentioned Butcher Malachar a couple of times, so it was just seven rather than six. But that's just a straight up Grave Pact. And like you you probably play Grave Pact creature over this. I mean, this guy's good, but Grave Pact is Grave Pact is a powerful card. So I don't have a I don't have an answer, but I do wonder, you know. Uh, worth talking about Camber the Plunderer. This is a vampire rogue. Uh, I think all the rogue stuff that's been slipped into this set is absolutely signaling heavy rogue theme in Kamigawa. And I was looking Kamigawa? at Kamigawa. Yeah, ninja rogues. There were no there were no rogues there before. I, I think there's gonna be ninja rogues hmm. as like the hacker class in blue black. What's after? What's after Kamigawa? Uh, New Capenna. I think I I think rogues are more likely there as like the mobster class. Yeah, as as some yeah whatever it is like you could have sort of the that might be a Demir, yeah like Demir essentially I, I, or well or uh, whatever the Demir wedge. I, I can see either it, of those or both and but whatever it is they're definitely signaling it because there's no reason for rogues to be like a part of this like Lorene the diversion doesn't need to be a human rogue camber doesn't need to be a vampire rogue they could have just left it at vampire and human but here we are so there's been enough rogues between afr and this the stuff this fall that feels to me like that's just one of the themes this year you're going to see more of it mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean they 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 have made more of a point to do um race and class essentially over the last however you know many sets where it's again a race in a class the way that D does it um but them being rogue specifically is kind of an odd choice so the thing about camber is apparently the way it reads on the version oh, that people God. are looking at is incorrect so it <laughs> yeah. says whenever it's a vampire rogue for four one black uh lifelink whenever a creature dies you gain a life and create a blood token so that's very powerful. And when we that version was re- revealed end of last week, I said I put the brick icon on it in our Discord because that's a brickable card <laughs> for sure. Any creature dying, you gain a life and create a blood token. That's nasty. Um, but apparently it's supposed to say whenever an opponent's creature dies, gain a life and create a blood token, which is clearly worse because you don't have con- control over it via your own sacrifice recursion synergies. Um, that doesn't mean that the card is unplayable, but I'm less excited about it than I was. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I actually saw a comment from Matt Tabak today that they're trying to figure out if it's a, uh, display error or a printing error, meaning that it might, it might actually be printed correctly on both versions of the card. It's just the digital version we got of this copy is wrong, which is even more wild. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, that may have already been answered. I don't know. That was just the last update I saw earlier this afternoon. But isn't that two cards from this set specifically that are titled, that are... Um, day one oracle fixes doesn't really surprise me when you're constantly increasing your product cycle in terms of number of cards you have to approve to get to market number of new cards printed per year and i'm sure the copywriting staff has not grown (laughs) during that period so yeah it's 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 not surprising but it's also disappointing like geez like you guys can't make sure these cards are coming out of there correct i mean 
like it's not that much stuff you guys got to <laughs> It's got to check. I mean, but but I mean, they have increased the the package, the the number of cards significantly. So I, mean, I don't know. Maybe they're just not paying those people enough. Crossways Troublemakers also competes for the five six slot in the vampires decks. It's a five five vampire attacking vampires you control have death touch and life link. Whenever a vampire you control dies, you may pay two life if you do draw a card. I assume that's going to get very cheap. I assume it's going to buy less decently a couple years out um arterial alchemy looks very similar to me in terms of being uh the nice thing here is this seems like it's a vampire synergy card but it actually just will fit all over the place um it's a enchantment for two and a red when arterial alchemy enters the battlefield create a blood token for each opponent you have so you're basically getting three blood tokens most most of the time and then blood tokens you control our equipment in addition to their other types and have equipped creature gets plus two plus zero and equip two so if they keep printing blood token stuff, which I don't think they're going to do anytime soon, but they may double back to it somewhere down the road in Commander Legends 2 or Marauder Horizons 2, 3 or whatever, then people will go back and find these blood token cards and they they may become activated as, as specs down the road. Yeah, my read on blood, and this is just like a guess right is that it's not going to be like treasure tokens or um no it's not evergreen yeah it's not evergreen quite like that but they printed a lot of blood tokens here like more than just you know a small handful so they may have every intention of coming back to this uh a little down the road kind of you know okay well you know this is we're gonna get a nice big dump of them this time and we're not going to print them for another couple months, but you will see them again. And the next time we do some sort of vampire product. So I'm not dying to jump on arterial alchemy or crossways troublemakers, but I'd, I'd consider it if they got cheap enough. Um, Scion of opulence looks better to me. Three, one vampire noble for three. And that's a slot that it's easier to accommodate in the vampire decks because you probably willing to pay, play 10 to 15, three drops in that deck. Um, and there's some good options, but, you know this this seems like a reasonable inclusion this is also a card that doesn't need to be in a vampire deck which card did you say a sign of opulence because whenever sign of opulence or another non-token vampire you control dies create a treasure token so even if you just play it alone in a deck it creates a treasure token but more importantly it has an ability that reads red sacrifice two artifacts exile the top card of your library you may play that card this turn so that has applications in brea it has applications in Ozgear. um there's a bunch of different decks that will want to run this with not caring at all about the vampire angle. Yeah, I I, I did catch this one. I I don't know. I was not blown away by it. I read it and I saw what it was supposed to do. But I mean, like, if you're playing a non-vampire deck, are you really going to play an enchantment or creature, a 3-mana three 3-1 three creature, which essentially is irrelevant, whose entire point is to sack two artifacts to draw a card. I don't think there's any deck at this point in Commander that is so hard up for card draw they're willing to play this. Keep in mind that in Ozgear, he exiles card artifacts from his graveyard to double to put two tokens into play, equaling those artifacts. So she sacks two, they go to the graveyard, he exiles one, puts two more back in play. So this is this is an engine in that deck. 
Yeah, I mean, so even if even so, if let's you're right, and okay, so let's say that like in Osgear it ends up being really good. We're still only talking about Osgear here. Oh yeah, but I'm, in, I'm in Bre I, in Brea with all the Thopter tokens. You'll run this. I I don't. Again, you're telling me you're going to cut something in Brea for this. There's plenty of like. Keep in mind that I I don't build ED, CEDH builds. I I build what is probably pretty close to the average, which is mid-range with occasional combos but i don't try to win with two cards at a time so i all my stuff is built mid-range and grindy to stuff for value and this fits in that in that mode like the, the the real question is will will other people will the combination of application and artifacts plus vampires be enough yeah, I get. I don't know. I look at this and I go, all right, I kind of get what it's doing, but it just seems like every part of this card is a little weaker than it needs to be to actually get people to cut stuff to put it in their deck. That's my read on it. I, I can buy that. How do you feel about Ethereal Investigator? Three and a blue, two, three, flying. When Ethereal Investigator enters the battlefield, investigate X times, where X is the number of opponents you have, so presumably about three. Uh, whenever you draw your second card each turn, create a one-one white spirit creature token with flying. He's fine. I mean, better. He's better, but I mean, so four mana. Really, we have a four mana two three that gives you three two cl- three clue three clue tokens. Basically, a card and a half. Yeah, and then I mean, really, even if you you have this say at the beginning, you know, every, at the beginning of upkeep, make a one-one spirit. Eh. Like, there are rotations where you manage to pull this off on multiple turns in a row. Like, your turn and your opponent's turn and your opponent's turn. But, like, that's going to be not the, the common. Well, th- well, that's just it, right? It's a blinking card. Like, this card wants to get blinked a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and stuff like, yeah, any of those decks that play like this, this is pretty solid in that regard. Um... He's fine. Again, he's not he's not bad. I just I'm not blown away by him. I don't some people will play him, but you're not gonna see him be a fifteen or twenty thousand deck card. Yeah, I think you're right. I think this is gonna be four to five thousand decks in a year. Yeah, which is kind of like where I land on a bunch of this stuff. It's like sure, there's a there's one or two commanders that would be interested in this card, and then you know it'll see scattered play elsewhere. But nothing in here strikes me as like a twenty thousand card, twenty thousand deck card a year out. Okay. Whereas you do see that in other sets. We are climbing the ladder here, so probably like on a ten point scale, we've been climbing 0.5 <laughs> per card as we've discussed. This one is another step up from the last one. Priest of the Blessed Graph. Two and a white for one and two human cleric. At the beginning of your end step, create X one one white spirit creature tokens with flying, where X is the number of opponents who control more lands than you. This is like a Finomancer in white. Yeah, but like a Finomancer. Let me take a look here. A Finomancer is uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, create a one one if you, a snake if you control no snakes. Uh, so you get one snake a turn, and then you sack it for value. It's, this is so. This is at the beginning of each upkeep, which means if you have some form of sacrifice, sure. you can get four one ones a rotation. Yep. Right. So now we bounce over to priest at the beginning of your end step, which means you're only getting this once per turn, and it's a number of opponents who have more lands than you. So technically, you could get f- three of them each turn. Uh, 
But white has a lot of tools now to balance the lands that they did not have before. Three or four years ago, you would get paid three spirits every turn. <laughs> but the best case scenario here is planes, soul ring, this go. Uh, yeah, I mean, that it's pretty silly. Uh, any, any turn cycle that goes land soul ring, like something, if, you're, if that's part of your pitch for the card, then like, okay, I, I, I said, sure. I said it's your best case scenario. So, uh, my point where I'm going with this is I think white has gotten a lot of tools to fix the, the mana problem. So like if this said, if, if this is creating a one, one spirit on e- one, one, one spirit, each of your turns, I don't think that's good. If it's creating two every turn at the end of your turn, it's fine. It's decent dish. It's only good if you're in a spirit deck or a deck that otherwise wants those bodies. So I still think this is real medium. Okay. Uh, and then the other one that jumped out at me is Spectral Arcanist. Three and a blue for a spirit wizard. The fact that it's a wizard on top of a spirit has a lot of application. Uh, because this does not need to be in a spirits deck. But when Spectral Arcanist is in a spirits deck, it's a flying 3-2, and when it enters the battlefield, you may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value less than or equal to the number of spirits you control from a graveyard, not your graveyard, a graveyard, without paying its mana cost. If that spell would be put in a graveyard, exile it instead. So it's a Snapcaster that flies, has uh, plus 2, plus 1, and you pay two extra for it. And if you're in a spirits deck, you get paid off by having a lot more selection. And if you don't, you're kind of limited to casting people's swords to plowshares. Yeah, I mean, this card's good. Uh, this card's solid. Again, primarily in a deck with spirits, because you're going to get to cast just about anything. I mean, Spectral Arcanist casting a one mana instant or sorcery means you might be able to steal somebody's swords or path or whatever twos get you your rampant growths and so forth um so even if you have a light spirit theme it seems passable any spirit deck is going to want to play this just because you get to nab your opponents you know whatever stupid crap is useful so again a solid card very useful in a spirit deck are you going to play a lot of it outside of there eh. well i can think of at least one commander that broadens the appeal kai car wins fury is a top 20 commander and Kaikar doesn't give a shit about spirits. They just makes a bunch of spirits whenever you cast non-creature spells. Well, see, I would consider that a spirit commander. Like, does he care? Does he quote unquote care about spirits? No, but he generates a bunch of them. So, like, that kind of counts. Sure, but, but my point being that it, you don't need to have a spirit, a commander that is literally type spirit to make this card work. It's going to work wherever you have a deck that can generate a bunch of spirits. Uh, I mean, incidentally, and then even. And I guess outside of that, it's a little more marginal. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. When I say spirit commander, like a spirit deck or a spirit commander, I don't mean a commander that is literally type spirit. I just mean a commander that wants you to be in spirits. So Kaikar is a good example of that. Sure. All right. So anything else jump out at you out of the commander deck? Uh, yeah, the Haunted Library. Haunted Library, you say? That one seems like possibly the best card out of this group. This is a two-mana enchantment. Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, if you do, you may pay one and get a spirit token. 
auto include in spirit decks for sure. Uh, yeah, but, but also like, just th- but also just good. Right. Like okay, a two mana enchantment every time anything else on the board dies, I can get a one one yeah. for one. Like that's that that's the type of card that you can get paid on incidentally fairly easily. It's also awesome in any deck that's playing a couple wraths because now you're you know you can wrath and you know if you have any mana left over you're going to get a spirit as many spirits as you have mana left over which is fine i mean if you think about that as like a kicker on all of your your wraths um it just it's very inexpensive and that is is pretty useful yeah i think this is very open-ended this has got it's not a smothering tithe but it fits in any deck where you choose to give it a slot where you can make use of those creatures yeah um and uh so that one caught my eye and donald herald of wings um if we can get extended art versions of him that will be something to keep an eye on he's the four mana three three blue creature human wizard um whenever you cast a non-legendary creature spell with flying you copy the spell and it's going to come in as a one, one spirit. So copying the spell instead of the creature is kind of funky. There's some like rules interactions with that, that open the door to some other odds and ends. But the point is every time you cast this creature with flying, you're going to get a copy of it. That's a one, one as well. So this just keeps cloning some of your creatures. Now it's got a flying, which makes it kind of semi narrow, but that doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah. You want flyers with sick ETBs like Yorion. (laughs) Well, non-legendary, but... Right, but like with sick ETBs that like what Yorion has. So, oh. so yeah, you, you want to find some real hot effects on a flyer. Yeah, I, I think, it, and I, there's going to be, there's a lot of choices there um, that will be useful. So I don't, I don't have a, a list here, but, you know, a creature that just clones for free every time you cast a creature spell Uh is pretty solid and you don't need that many flyers in your deck for him to be useful. I don't think so. He also caught my attention. And then as a mythic, he, well, I guess he's a commander card, so it doesn't really matter what the rarity is. Right. Sure. I was going to finish that sentence, but then I thought better of it. So, uh, taking a look at some of the vampires that we got last minute on the Friday, I remember seeing stuff that looked interesting. I mean, first of all, the Edgar Edgar Charmed Groom is going to be brickable. It's a two white black four four for a vampire noble. It's also Edgar Markov, so everybody's going to put it in the Markov decks for here to eternity. And we didn't get a better van van uh, vampire commander than Markov here. People will try some of the other ones just to mix it up, but the reality is Markov's still the best, and you just put some of those in as the ninety nine. Um, He's a vampire lord, gives vampires plus one plus one. That's auto-include status for most tribal decks. And then when he dies, you return it to the battlefield transformed as his coffin, which is a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, create a 1-1 white and black vampire creature token with lifelink and put a bloodline counter on Edgar. If there's three or more, remove them and transform it. So he's a 4-4 lord. Later he dies. Then you get three vampire tokens along the way. And keep in mind that if you're putting this in a, in a Markov deck, you're getting vampire tokens every turn anyway from his eminence ability. So if on turn three or four you drop Charmed Groom, you're 
working your way into compounding that situation. You might even sacrifice him yourself to turn him into the coffin on purpose and then bring him back later. This is so brickable. because it's very unlikely to get played in standard. They should get real cheap. There should be some sick foil extended arts of the card. Uh, I'm not clear if there's a Dracula version of this card or not. Um, I don't know if we saw it, but uh, yeah, I would keep your eye on this one. Yeah, he's... He's solid. I'm not like blown away by him, but he'll see some. He'll see play. I, I can't argue that. Um, what did? I, where is the card I'm looking for? There were a couple cards in here that I wanted to touch on. Uh, yeah, there's him. Jacob is a really weird card that was hard to parse. Cemetery Gatekeeper is a fascinating card, but I don't think it will matter. This could have been. This could have been a modern playable card but they put it in this product um Aberbrook caretaker Aberbrook caretaker could end up what, what do you mean they put it in this product this is from val proper oh this is from val proper oh then he is potentially uh a modern a modern card you see him as an eidolon-esque card yeah so cemetery gatekeeper is a two mana two one he's a red creature two mana two one first strike when he enters the battlefield exile a card from a graveyard from a graveyard and whenever a player plays a land or casts a spell if it shares a card type he deals two damage to them so you don't even have to wait for your opponent to put anything in the graveyard you can um crack a fetch crack yeah crack your own fetch exile the land and now every time your opponent puts a land in the play they get shocked he's an ink of mishra yeah yeah that is a lot of damage and he's a two mana two one first strike which are, are solid numbers and he's a mythic they're clearly making a point there i mean if you turn one ragavan turn to this guy eating a land like you're putting a tremendous amount of pressure on your opponent very quickly i i don't i haven't heard anybody talking about this for modern but i would be curious to see if it, it can make the cut the in edh it's even better because you take a you take out a fetch land and then all the whole table is paying two to play lands yeah, they're going to get really angry at you if you do that. Uh, he will be. He could be very annoying for sure. The problem is most people people tend not to play those types of cards or those decks and those cards in, in EDH as much, I think. But he could be real obnoxious there. Putting him with Perforos is real is funny just because your opponents are going to just eat it no matter what they do. Well, and here's the thing. In the, both zombies and vampires, you, you, te- you can easily build in engines to recurse them. And the two two drop slot for vampires is pretty soft. Like there's some good stuff in there, like blood artist and whatever. But you can easily make room for gatekeeper, and I definitely will. And as a mythic, if it sees any amount of solid, like any ongoing modern play, which I very much doubt, but I can see how it is. Like its concept is pushed. If you put him in a deck with Eidolons, Ragavan, and and this, I mean, you start to get my attention just because of the amount of pressure like we look we saw that red sly deck in the eighth place mm-hmm. in one of the challenges so it's it becomes a but they weren't running eidolons and if they're not running eidolons they're probably not running gatekeeper um yeah i mean it's it i, I i'm not gonna profess to know how to build that deck i think that there's some interesting power there being a mythic is also interesting because uh that sets him up to have a real price tag if he was a rare i wouldn't be talking about him but as a mythic it's more interesting um here, so i don't know it just he caught my attention as, as a card that was clearly pushed and at mythic here's a mythic that was revealed late that i suspect will be a gainer over time avabruck caretaker 
Yeah, it was the other one I was about to mention. 6444, human werewolf. Very pretty young lady with a dog, having fun in a field. She has hexproof for reasons unknown, and at the beginning of combat on your turn, put two plus one plus one counters on another target creature you control. So in any of the counters builds, this is just a solid include because it is a repetitive counter building strategy. So assume it, presumably you've got um, the one mana counter doubler or you've got doubling season or whatever else. And then because this has hexproof, they're having trouble getting this off the, the board without committing to a wipe. So that's nice. And then when it flips... It becomes a 6-6 hexproof. Other permanents you control have hexproof. So one of the things that often happens is when a permanent gives your commander squad hexproof, it's usually vulnerable so that they can get rid of it to free things up. But in this case, the originals, the origination of the effect is hexproof and everything else is hexproof. And then you still get the plus one, plus one counters. <laughs> This is probably going to be pretty popular because at minimum it goes in Tovalar and then all the other counter strategies that are green based can find reason to play it as well. Yeah, this card is pretty gross. I mean, just the triggers on that are going to be pretty potent in, in a lot of decks. Uh, and then add on to that, that when you flip it over, it gets everything gets hexproof and cards that give hexproof are quite popular. Uh, what is that archetype of endurance? Foils on that were quite pricey. They were like 10 or 15 bucks for an uncommon until it got reprinted. Uh, so there's a, definitely an appetite for this type of effect. And again, this is a mythic. Uh, so these could really have some weight to them. It, it's possible you're just supposed to get basic pack copies of this. Um, even though it's, you know, the extended art foils might there, those might be appealing too, but there could be an opportunity here for just the basic copies because a lot, you know, a lot of those players who, you know, the Timmies who just want to play big green EDH decks and want to beat stuff up are going to fall in love with this card. They're not going to want to pay 60 bucks for the foil mythics. They're just going to want to pay 15 for the, the cheapest one they can get. So there is an odd, uh, thing here that a lot of people probably didn't catch there is a series of seven cards that you can only get in the C crimson vow set boosters so they're part of the crimson vow commander uh, set whose set symbol is voc voc but they don't come in the commander decks they can only be found in set boosters Okay, I think I knew that. I think I remember reading that. <laughs> the bottom line is, once that means the overall distribution of these cards is going to be reduced. Anybody who doesn't specifically buy and crack set boosters won't trip over these cards in either the collector boosters or the commander decks. So any of them that matter over time are probably going to be worth a look. I think the one that jumps out at me here is the Hollow Hinge Overlord for Tovalar. Uh, it's a six mana for a four, four wolf with flash at the beginning of your upkeep for each creature you control. That's a wolf or a werewolf Create a two, two green wolf creature token. So end of the player in front of you's turn, you cast this. It's an underwhelming four, four for six, but presumably you've got three or four werewolves and you just got four more wolves. Yeah, this people, I did see people talking about this. Um, it, this, this relies on people caring about werewolf decks past the next three months. I don't have the highest effects about that, but it could, the price could get pretty hefty on that if there's enough werewolf demand. 
it really is custom designed to slide into Tovalar because Tovalar main ability is whenever a wolf or a werewolf you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So, and he can also on his flip side give wolves and uh, wolves and werewolves trample until end of turn. So, I think you're right about wanting to know whether Tovalar is a lasting, you know, top five commander or whether it slides off the table as we get new ninja commanders and what have you with Kamigawa. So I think you're going to have time to figure this out, right? You're going to see some of these hollow hinge overlords land on TCG player this month, and you'll want to keep an eye on how many land. Are there 300 listings, 200 listings, 100? Does it start at 60 and never really grow? Um, are there walls or they're just relatively shallow pockets of these? Just keep an eye on it. And so have we not had this situation before where there's cards only in a set booster? I, Is this the first time they've done that? I can't remember if they did that earlier this year for Strixhaven or, or something else. I'd have to go back and double check. Um, I don't remember anything mattering if it did. Um, this is the first time I saw a card in, in a list like this that jumped out at me. But keep in mind, there was the, the game night uh, ancillary product that had the zombie that pumped hard off Wilhelt. That's 30 or 40 bucks now um, because it was the only printing ever of that zombie. And it showed up on our uh, fast movers list like a month ago. Okay. So this this is the kind of thing that can be worth money down the road just because so many people missed out on ever owning a copy if it becomes relevant. Right, right, right. right. Uh, hmm. Let's see if there's anything else in here. They reprinted, repr- reprinted Splendid Reclamation. That's the four mana sorcery that returns all land and cards from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So anybody that was holding anybody that was holding bricks of those uh, isn't uh, going to be too pleased. Bruni. Anything um, else that jumped out at me? I think that's about it past what we had already looked at. I'll say this, there's not a lot of mythics in this set that uh, seemed like they deserve to be mythics instead of rares. Uh, yeah, because they did, they did like a cycle or two, and they were just, I don't know, they were there, whatever. Markov, yeah. Markov Purifier is a pretty nice uncommon. One white black, two three lifelink vampire cleric, so applications of both vampires and clerics. At the beginning of your end step, if you gain life this turn, you may pay two if you do draw a card. That's like a, a Loro card, but there's lots of decks that care about that kind of thing. We got to make sure we bring that up when Jason's on, because it's a cleric. <laughs> and I can never let him forget that. Um, Mirror Hall Mimic is the clone we talked about last week, right? I think that's where we left off last week. So I think we, we've the- pretty much covered the ground. Yeah, yeah, I think we got everything. And I mean, I, I'm hoping we can have Jason on next week or um, to kind of run through this some more. But yeah, that, that seems like it's all the bullet points for now. And then the week after that, I want to talk about um, what version of cards should we be targeting? Um, we've started building some case studies in the ProTrader Discord that uh, kind of look at low price points for, say, regular pack foil, extended art, foil extended art. And track where the best returns um have manifested and how long it took so we're going to try to look at that from a few different angles and then put together a summary for the cast okay 
that sounds like something we can do. All right. Where can people find you online, Travis? I am on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. How about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTGCritic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Probably the time of year where I should uh, tell people we're probably going to have a Black Friday sale coming up soon. And if you feel like getting the details on that early, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. We'll just do that as an experiment to see uh, how much interest that generates. But we'll get you a, a discount on the annual and get you into our very effective, very friendly, and very profitable Discord. Um, get you access to all of our group buys, etc. And uh, real good community we have brewing there, so... Come on in and have a look. Oh, that's something. I should sign up. <laughs> uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering, single sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That is episode 297 in the books. It was a good time. I thought we had some useful stuff here for our listeners, and I will see you again next week, James. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.